Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, welcome. I'm Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and we're so excited about this session, Engaging the Spiritual and Not Religious with Dr. C.J. Rose. Uh, If you've seen Jude 3 any amount of time, you know that Dr. Rose has been a participant since early on on our podcast, a part of our conferences. Um, So we're excited to have him again for another conference, our first Pastors and Leaders Conference on a session, Engaging the Spiritual and Not Religious. Welcome, Dr. Rhodes. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, Lisa, and we celebrate all the work that you're doing with Jude 3 Project. Thank you for joining us again. For those who don't know who you are, just tell our audience a little bit about about yourself. Sure. Well, I am uh, Dr. C.J. Rhodes. I'm pastor of Mount Town Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson is the capital city of Mississippi and Mount Helm is the oldest African-American congregation in the city of Jackson, uh, one of the oldest in the state of Mississippi, for that matter. Also serve in a variety of positions at Alcorn State University. Alcorn is uh, the oldest um, public um, HBCU in Mississippi and one of the oldest um, black land grant institutions. And I serve as director of spiritual and religious life there, as well as interim director of the honors program. Uh, Educationally, I studied philosophy at the University of Mississippi, uh, where I got my BA in that in 2004. And then I went on to pursue my Master of Divinity from Duke University Divinity School in 2009, I got that. And then in 2018, received my Doctor of Ministry from Wesley Biblical Seminary. Well, we're glad to have you again. And uh, as as I said before, we're gonna be talking about engaging the spiritual uh, but not religious, and you you engage uh, this group of folks all the time. Um, before we get into specifically engagement, I think your testimony is really important to probably how you navigate this topic and how you think about Christianity um, more broadly. So just share with our audience a little bit about how you came to faith and what were your challenges uh, as a young person with struggling with, with Christianity. Sure. Well, I'm either a a very old millennial or very young Gen Xer. I was born in 1982, so I'm right on the cusp. And I grew up in uh, a town called Hazelhurst, central Mississippi. And uh, in those days, if you were black and in Hazelhurst, you you went to church. Uh, You didn't always live up to the uh, demands of of Christian ethics uh, necessarily, I guess, but it was a part of the culture to be black in Mississippi at that time was to be a member of a church in my family. Uh, we were a part of the missionary Baptist uh, community uh, uh, there in Hazelhurst. And somewhere in my preteens, I began to call into question the efficacy 
uh, first of church attendance and then the broader scope of what church attendance was uh, leading us to, belief in God in Christ. Uh, there are two main reasons for this. First, there was what I would call kind of the ethical dimension of, of my criticisms. I began to see that a lot of my adults in my life uh, did not necessarily have, as it were, uh, their audio and video in sync. So they would say one thing and do something else. And it just was like, you know, what's the point of getting up? You know, uh, we only were off, of course, you remember uh, grade school, you know, you go to school Monday through Friday, you're off on the weekend. And so Saturday for church folk is the only, you know, at least those of us who you know, go to church on Sundays uh, is the only day you kind of have off because back then you go to church at about 11. So you get up, get ready about nine something, you go to church at 11, service ends at about two, you know, then you go eat and then go back for a service. So my whole Sunday is filled with church stuff. And I, you know, first of all, I say, well, wait a minute, it doesn't seem to be changing the lives of the people who say this changes your life. So that was number one. Then number two, um, related to that kind of ethical part, <clears throat> uh, I looked at, you know, the continued realities of segregation and racism in Mississippi, in my own town. And again, asked if all of us are Christian, black folks here in, in Hazelhurst, the white folks in Hazelhurst, then why these enduring inequities? I didn't use that language then, but I just began to identify, pick up all the fact that there was just a lot of uh, discrepancy between uh, what we claimed about the love and brotherhood of, of the faith and what we saw lived out politically and socially. So that was the, the ethical, emotional dimension. But then there was a more intellectual dimension that came after that. That being, I began to uh, read a lot of information. Uh, my dad was a philosophy minor in, in college. And so I would peruse his philosophy books. I would peruse comparative religion books. So I'm reading Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology. I'm reading the Quran. I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita. I'm reading all this stuff. And it begged the question for me, how true is the Bible and what is being purported uh, about the Bible in, in church? And most of the people in my community could not answer those questions. And I got to a point to where I said, if I don't experience particularly the miraculous dimension of what I see recorded in scripture, then I'm calling into question whether or not this is real or if this is just a myth, like all the other stuff I'm told is, is mythic, mythical. And uh, that led me to basically agnosticism, a soft form of agnosticism. We can talk about that more in a moment. But by 16, I had a real powerful encounter with the Lord. Uh, I grew up missionary Baptist, but I uh, connected with some Pentecostal friends. Uh, and Lisa, you know, we shared this bond as a, I'm Bapticostal, but, um, <laughs> you know, there was something about, you know, the word of knowledge, the prophetic that happened in that meeting that transcended my rational doubts. And that was the, that was the entry point for me to say, okay, the God made known to us in Jesus by his spirit and his word is real, is true, is beautiful and worth loving and following. And that began my journey uh, into a deeper walk with the Lord, ultimately later, you know, call to ministry. And through my college years and, and, and following, uh, it really was a hard pursuit after God and to help others experience life in God.
Yeah, that's powerful. And I think one of the things you said uh, when you talk about both of us uh, um, being Pentecostal, that experience component um, coupled with reason is so, so transformative, right? And I, and as we think about the next generation and talking about spiritual, not religious, one of the aspects I think pushes people in the spiritual, not religious is experiential. They want to experience something, some kind of power. They want to see proof that the power is working in the earth. Um, do you think that's one of the main causes of people um, a, kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater as it relates to Christianity? the lack of power that they see demonstrated? Absolutely. I also think it's probably the one element that is undervalued mm-hmm. in talks about evangelism and apologetics. We assume, by and large, that young people, millennials, Gen Z, so millennials, we're kind of old now, right? Mm-hmm. So Gen Z and Gen Alpha are really kind of, you know, your teenagers, your 20-somethings, or Gen uh uh, uh, Gen Y or not Gen Y, but uh, whoever comes after us, <laughs> the old, then, Jizzy. Uh, then the little babies, right? And you know, we often say, well, they're just walking away from the faith because they want to live riotously. They they want to, you know, pursue loose sexual ethics. Uh, they want to be libertarian, uh, and that's usually the approach we have uh, toward toward younger generations. But I I would dare say that for a large population of, of that pop, of that generation, it, it really is, okay, I want to believe that this is real, but I don't see evidence of it working in my life or the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Um, they've seen, frankly, the, the, the lack of, 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 of integrity among grownups. Um, they've experienced... Um, the lack of power in their lives and watch this, then they experience power elsewhere Mm -hmm. in tarot readings, in Zodiac, uh, in seances, in, you know, um, kind of, you know, brunches. I mean, whatever, right? There are Mm -hmm. all these other spaces that feel more spiritual than traditional Sunday morning at 11. Mm Mm-hmm. And they then have a spirituality they can feel. And that's contrasted with the religion they cannot. Mm-hmm. And, and what we tend to do in that space is say, well, just read the Bible mm-hmm. or just come to church or don't worry about what sister so-and-so is doing. Just love God. And, you know, younger generations are saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play church. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's a divine presence. I believe there's a God. I, you know, they may even say, I believe in Jesus. They just question the efficacy of following Jesus in an institution that they see as powerless and abusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point because uh, also millennials are about like, I don't want to waste my time. And you're saying yes. that, <laughs> you know, going to this religious space seems just like another check in a busy life that produces nothing in my life. And right. that's, I think that's, you know, very crucial in our understanding that people want to have, they want to cause an effect uh, that when they do something, there's going to be an effect that comes from it. And 
they just haven't seen transformation in that way from church attendance. And then they haven't seen it be transformative for the generation that came before it. So if you see duplicitousness in your home and your parents spend a lot of time in church, you're going to think, well, what's the benefit of this? This seems like something I could just pull off my list. Right. And, and yes. And so, and so millennials, uh, our generation and then Gen Z after us, um, are, are asking those kinds of questions about, for instance, you know, we make claims in church. If you follow God, you know, you'll live a prosperous life. Or if you sow faithfully and serve faithfully, God's going to bless you. And it's not just even the broader prosperity gospel we attack. We, it, we see this in other traditions. We see this in traditional Baptist or Methodist or, or Pentecostal churches that say that, you know, serving the Lord will pay off after a while. But if they grew up in a context where, you know, they're homeless because mom is in church all the time, giving all the money to the church, but they're homeless or they've seen the pastor, you know, hit on and sleep with a bunch of the girls in the church. Right. Or any number of things they will call into question, not only that, but they may say, wait a minute, I may actually want to live a certain way that may be contrary to what the church is saying, but y'all are doing it undercover. I just want to do it out in the open. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that that's that lane. But again, for so many folks, I mean, especially because I'm in the kind of more traditional mainline, you know, the Baptist or what. There's so many young people saying, "There's got to be more to this than just going to church. Someone sings a song, someone prays a prayer, the preacher pray, you know, preaches something nice, and they're and they're not seeing real transformation." Mm-hmm. They're not seeing, they're not experiencing miracle signs and wonders because here's the thing. They are seeing it happen somewhere else. Right. And so you can sit all day long and say, well, that's not real. or that's the devil, it begs the question, does the devil have more power than God? Mm-hmm. Because if, if the devil's doing all this stuff, but God stopped doing all this stuff back when the apostles died, we got a problem. Yeah. And millennials and Gen Z are saying something's wrong with that logic. They'll just go where the power is, regardless of the source of that power. And I think it's incumbent upon churches to ask, why is so little power being demonstrated in many of our churches? So I'm pointing the finger at those who are leaving and ask the question, why are we creating cultures or sustaining cultures where there is a very lack of a spiritual presence and power? that distinguishes this from any other space that people can attend. Mm -hmm. No, that's, I think that's spot on. And I think about the fact that our topic today is spiritual, not religious. It shows us that young adults, uh, millennials, Gen Z and Gen Alpha to come want a spiritual experience. Like you said, they just want one that works. So you've kind of already alluded to it in in your answers, but if you were to give uh, someone kind of uh, spiritual, not religious uh, for dummies, what would you, how would you describe that group? What are they trying to articulate? Yeah. So they're basically saying, uh, and there's a variety of definitions, but kind of one main definition is they're not atheists. They don't deny the existence of God or the divine. They believe, quote unquote, in a higher power. And particularly those who grew up in church or around church, 
they will identify their higher power as Jesus. What they will say at the same time is they think that the institutional church, the church attendance, the business meetings, the Bible studies, et cetera, like all of that for them, they believe to be problematic. And so they're, let's, let's, you know, say the kind of the Jesus spiritual, but not religious group will say, we can experience Jesus in conversations with with friends over brunch. Mm-hmm. And we can, you know, pray our friend through who's going into surgery. Um, think, for instance, about a lot of popular culture. You know, we talk about, you know, the sheer kind of Pentecostal part, Baptocostal on my end. Think about TikTok now and how many young people Gen uh, Z and well, I guess some of Gen Alpha are on TikTok. They're taking clips of GE Patterson and putting them on TikTok. They're, they're using a, the Pace Sisters or shout music. Now, they may not go to church, mm-hmm. but they understand something about that culture. Mm-hmm. And, and they say, well, I can, I can just scroll through TikTok or IG stories or Facebook Live. And get my spiritual fix. I don't need to be a part of the institution to do that, especially when the institution for them is often abusive or irrelevant or hasn't shown up in ways they think it should show up. That's that particular part. Now, some of those are also experimenting. Jesus-centered spiritual but not religious folks are also experimenting with a lot of other stuff. So they're what I'll call Jesus plus. Mm-hmm. Jesus plus the ancestors. Mm-hmm. Jesus plus crystals, Jesus plus sage. Uh, and they're, part of that is because they're saying that the institutional church has suppressed indigenous, uh, particularly African for our audience, forms of spiritual practices that they believe to be more efficacious than the practices they see in the church only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's helpful because um, I think many pastors kind of don't understand what what people are saying especially when it comes to african spirituality and sage and crystals can you talk about why what what is the benefit they see of crystal sage what are they trying to and you've alluded to this obviously it's powers it's peace um it's it's all of those things but just and I don't know if you even know the answer to this question. What are the crystals uh, supposed to do? I, I hear uh, young people talking about they, they charge in their crystals uh, uh, and different things. Um, kind of what what is that? So before answering the question immediately, one of the things I want to distinguish is that uh, a lot of folks in the spiritual but not religious co- uh, community uh, would not be, you know, we often talk in, in apologetic communities about Hebrew Israelism, Nation of Islam, et cetera. And, you know, talk about folks going there. A lot of these folks are not even attracted to those movements either. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I like the language you use, African spirituality. I think for them, this is one way that a population is reconnecting with what they believe to be African. Mind you, there are many folks in Africa who say, y'all ain't doing it right. <laughs> y'all are kind of piecemeal. You pulling a little something here, pulling something. So, you know, you're talking about some chakras plus, you know, say like, like we don't do chakras in West Africa. That's, that's, that's Hindu, right? <laughs> but, you know, so, so, so there's this almost kind of 
very American consumerist buffet style spirituality where people are just pulling a little bit here, a little bit there. The African spirituality piece in particular uh, with regard to sage and crystals is about auras and energies. And so um, it's about, say, say, let's do, do it this way. I don't want to be in a bad mood today. So how do I not be in a bad mood? I don't need to smoke or drink. I need to make sure I get my crystals. I need to sage myself down, right? I walk into, a, you know, I go into a hotel room. I don't know who was in here before. They could be doing all kinds of stuff. So let me sage down the bed. Let me say, right? Um, and they're cleansing the evil spirits. Uh, these become, if you will, sort of like talismans that, that you actually see in, in, in various forms of uh, Christian and Jewish folk uh, religions where people take a relic or something, you know, the rosary, you know, you're praying the Hail Mary in, in Catholic traditions, et cetera. And so a lot of times there's this, again, they said, look, we pray, we meditate, but we enhance that or we supplement that with the use of these natural um, ingredients, if you will, which actually is very uh, much in, in, in many ways African. And for a lot of younger folks, there's a, a desire to reconnect with nature in some way. And so think about our, our church buildings. Uh, many of them are built in ways that block out natural light, right? They, they are, you know, just big, big buildings. But there are a lot of folks say, I actually am closer to God when I walk on the beach, when I go to the Grand Canyon. And so taking these little elements of sage or crystals uh, or certain kind of ritual baths or um, headdresses or certain kinds of jewelry. Um, you know, I heard one woman, she, she wears these bangling uh, like silver wristbands and says, every time I hear these jangle, I hear my I, I'm reminded of my ancestors. Uh, so the uh, the tangible piece right, of, of things we can touch as, if you will, becoming sacramental. Right. These are vehicles of divine presence, divine peace, divine power that they also have the authority to use without the mediation of the pastor, the priest, you know, the church mother. They can do it at home. Um, now, a lot of them, I think, are, are, are just mixing a whole bunch of stuff together. OK, mm -hmm. which which New Age thought often does. It takes a little something here, and a little something there. Um, but they believe this is a way to reconnect to their African ancestry and roots and also demonstrate a certain degree of, of spiritual presence and peace that they believe they had not experienced before using those uh, elements. Mm -hmm. And that is so that is so helpful because a lot of times the older generation will see people doing that and they'll be like, they'll jump to witchcraft. Now, I'm not saying there's not elements of witchcraft in that, but I'm saying that right. the, that's not the first place to engage them. Uh, because you have to realize what they're doing it for. And a lot of times people are doing it because they haven't seen, they have, they felt like they were in church and they were unprotected. Um, so I think about the high rate of sexual assault amongst and, and sexual uh, and, and rape and incest uh, in the African-American community. And you got people who grew up and have been assaulted and say, where was God? I was going to church every Sunday. I was in Sunday school and this this happened. So they feel an element of being unprotected. They feel like their parents went to church every Sunday or their grandmother and she was still in poverty. You know, like you, like you mentioned before, you see all of this, you see they have generations before maybe their mom 
never had any peace, but she was in church every Sunday. And they're looking for, as you mentioned before, they're looking for something that actually works tangibly and they're reaching for these things. I think that should frame how we engage. And, and I'm sure you agree. So, so when we move from understanding what it is, how do we, how do we engage, engage that group effectively from your experience? Yeah. So first I would ditto what you just said. I mean, I think we have to appreciate there is something they are objecting to and we can defend the church without being defensive about the church. Mm-hmm. We've got to be honest that there have been ways in which we have failed miserably over decades. We have tolerated things that we should not have tolerated. And for me to even say that, there's going to be some group of pastors saying, you shouldn't say that. and so that even that makes it even more of a concern for younger folk who say you know they're trying to protect the tribe as opposed to protect the victims so i think we have to do a lot more of that um one 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 thing uh and you know i'm about to say something that i'm probably going to get some pushback on from some some colleagues of mine friends of mine but i would say uh for at, at the risk of controversy we have got to pentecostalize the black church. By that, I mean the broader black church has to become more and more open to the phenomenal, the expressive, the charismatic dimensions of the faith that are happening around the global South and in many pockets around uh, this nation when it comes to the church and definitely happening outside of the church. We have to be open to the fact that if God is all powerful and God is, then we don't make God a, a, a genie in the bottle, but we say that we ought to be always open to the surprises of God to do whatever God wants to do. And I think if we were more open to that, more and more young people would see the church as a space in which there is place for their spiritual yearnings and they they can see i don't necessarily need sage or the ancestors to do what the holy spirit is doing mm-hmm. I, you know i will say something that may offend some of our, our spiritual but not religious folks i don't need sage to cleanse evil spirit i just call upon the name of jesus mm-hmm. pentecostal's been cleansing cleansing uh environments with oil uh since i was come on yeah <laughs> we, we get blessed oil I, I feel a i feel i feel god right here we get blessed oil and, and 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 watch this and watch this and i use the language pentecostalized lowercase p because it, even in my missionary baptist church upbringing oh my mom like my mom believed in oil. you know she'll walk anoint the lentils anoint the doors and all this kind of stuff and a lot of that stuff we tend to want to, you know, some people ridicule and say, well, what's your exegesis on that? I mean, is it necessarily bad to anoint the I mean, like, is God offended that you're anointed the door with oil? So being open to that and being real about the fact that even in classical Christianity, we also have tangible ways of connecting with the divine. So we don't have crystals, but we, you know, we have oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some traditions have incense, you know, um, burning the like. So we need to kind of take away the spooky out of that and say there's there's room for that. 
Uh, there's room for your spiritual yearnings. The other thing is, um, at least in my context at Alcorn, I, I don't know about Gen Z all around the nation, but I've noticed that there is a hunger and a willingness for discipleship among Gen Z that I think I'm not seeing even among us millennials. Mm -hmm. They're looking for older mentors, not old, old, but like, you know, Gen Z looking for millennials and Gen X to walk alongside them, to lead and guide them, to help them navigate the complexities of life. And if we present these not in non-judgmental ways and say, you know, hey, I understand your, your, your struggle. I understand what you're going through. I've been there before. Here's how we walk this out. Mm -hmm. Here, here's what God you know, declares in his word. I think there's an openness to that. The problem, I think, is that too many Gen Zers are not hearing from millennials or Gen X. They're being fussed down to by baby boomers saying, y'all ain't got it like we had it. And yet there's a hunger for it. And, and so when there's a hunger and you're hungry, if I don't provide the meal for you, this other group will. Mm -hmm. uh, and then lastly, I would say, we in the church, and I'm, this is why I'm thankful for Jude 3 Project, have to become much better navigators of, of social media, metaverse, right? Because by and large, most millennials, Gen Zers, and Gen Alpha are digital natives. They are not going to get to know Jesus first by going to church and tearing at the altar. Mm -hmm. Many of them will get to know Jesus by a TikTok video. By, by metaverse church mm -hmm. service. And so a lot of us have to get out of being spooked by technology. A lot of us still have this, the, 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 the internet is, is the devil's workshop and, and become more like the apostle Paul at Mars Hill and, and go to where the pagans are and, and, and connect with what pagans uh, celebrated, right? Paul quotes, he says, one of your poets said, mm -hmm. And he uses that as a doorway. He says, you know, your poet said, I see this shrine over here to an unknown God. Let me talk to you about that one. So we've got to be sophisticated enough to understand instead of us beating, what are the crystals for? What's the sage for? Why are they calling on the ancestors? Understand that. And then diplomatically, compassionately enter into dialogue and relationship. And through that, say, well, maybe there's a, a more a more better way, a more excellent way. And can I can I show this way to you? And I believe many of them are open uh, if we just go to where they are and compassionately, empathically engage them where they are without judgment, without ridicule, and then bring them into this greater sense of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so key. As I was thinking, I thought about our Why Don't Go series. And one of the guys, Jason, uh, was uh, we were in the same campus ministry uh, in, in undergrad. And now he's kind of spiritual, not religious. But one of the th biggest things he said he had the with the church is pastors forget they have wives. And I thought it was interesting because he, one of the reasons I thought it was interesting is because he, he believes in a free life, a, a sexually free life, right? But he wants, he wants 
a leader that has overcome that level of promiscuity and he wasn't seeing it in the church. It, it shows us that young people do want examples. They know that sometimes the way they're living, whether it's sex, drugs, any number of things are bondage and they want to see p- the people of God li- living in not only a social liberation, but a personal liberation from sin. And so it just challenges us as pastors and leaders to think, I'm I'm not reaching for perfection, but there's a generation who want to see that you can be free from what bound you, that you could be free from sin. They they want a demonstration. They want to see somebody living in freedom. And you can think about like, there's plenty in the conscious community or in people that don't even, aren't even Christians that are saying, we're putting away drugs. We're putting away alcohol for a season. We're putting away sex for a season because they feel like those kind of fog their ability to see life clearly. And if people without Jesus can let go of vices, why can't people with the Holy Spirit not let go of those vices in the same way to be a demonstration to the world? Yeah. A couple of things. So I, I appreciate you sharing that part um, of, of, of your friend's uh, story. I would say a couple of things about that. I think, you know, yes, I think the hypocrisy of what, again, audio versus video, you know, one a teaching of, monogamy as God's preferred design and then that not being lived out and and not being just a struggle, but a license, right? I think that's the, I think that's the bigger issue. Somebody can stumble and fall. I think there's kind of grace for that. Mm -hmm. But when there's this serial stuff, it's like, whoa, you, you just, and and you feel like you deserve it because you're the man of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I also think we have to do a better job of recognizing and understanding that in the New Testament, there isn't a separate code of ethics for preachers and, and, and not one for, for the people of God. And so I think we have to begin to teach that whatever standard the preachers held to, yes, the standard is higher, the, the wages are higher, the costs are higher, but all of us are supposed to live holy, mm-hmm. but God is holy. Right. And so we've got to begin to teach that. And what's ironic in what you just closed with is that that holiness, they don't use this language, but the holiness teaching is very pronounced, not just in certain communities, such as various forms of nation of Islam, et cetera, but they're promoting it on social media. So, for instance, I'm seeing these Afrocentric sisters promoting celibacy like on ig on twitter i see brothers talking about the toxic effects of pornography weed all this stuff on you like be a man take care of your family interestingly enough in too many black churches we have become dare i say so liberalized that we feel like when you talk about that you meddling with folks in church and yet for younger folks they actually are looking for that structure. They're looking for the example that says, I can actually have an anxiety-free life without smoking 10, you know, 10 joints of weed a day. I can there's you know, I can I can channel my creativity beyond just promise, promiscuous sexuality. 
And frankly, in some of those other other groups, they're promoting that in a better way. One thing I've always been impressed with regarding the Nation of Islam is that they're holding up a, a profound social critique of America and also telling young black men to pull up their pants, get rid of drugs, alcohol, pork, treat their wives with dignity. Very kind of conservative argument over here and very radical argument over here. And I think a lot of young black people are looking for that. Last thing, I think, I think again, and, and you know, please, you know, I got friends in this in this community, so they'll, you know, they'll probably beat me up for saying this. But I think the problem with the kind of the more liberationist community is that they think of liberation as simply social. And the problem with that is that younger people are saying, but I don't see liberation in your life. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're talking still about to sin. what white supremacy is doing. Mm-hmm. But you're not talking about the fact that you're breaking up homes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, see, watch this. Because part of the problem, the reason why folks are doing chakras and, and crystals and, 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 and uh, sage is because there's so much trauma that didn't just come because of, of enslavement and because of white supremacy, but because of the residual effects of broken homes and broken communities that young folks have had to navigate my dad not being there, my mama being toxic. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so we've got to hold those things together. Yeah, let's, let's be prophetic. You know, I, I, I think about um, Isaiah. He says, you know, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean, I'm undone. And I'm a man of unclean lips. And I think part of what young people are looking for is, yeah, we, let's fight the powers out there. But if you're not willing to talk about the stuff that we got to get right in the black community, in our families, in our churches, then then it looks like it's, it's a disconnection, a disjointedness that they don't appreciate. And they're finding more integrity, um, whether real or false, in, in other traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so, so helpful and a necessary word. Before we close, Dr. Rose, is there anything you want to say about the spiritual uh, and not religious group that we haven't covered in this conversation that you want our audience to know? Yeah, well, I would say um, because I had that, that that journey to, first of all, not give up on the spiritual, but not religious. Um, sometimes that's a part of the testimony. And I think we've got to walk alongside people. Paul says some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. And so this conversation today may be the planting of a seed that will later be watered uh, somewhere else, but God will give the increase. The other thing I would say about the spiritual but not religious is that there's especially a kind of hopefulness about that community because they have not written off that there is a God to be made known to them in Jesus. And and here's the life he calls us to. I talked earlier about having a soft agnosticism. Um, I wasn't a hard agnostic uh, growing up, meaning I had not fully ruled out. Um, You know, I couldn't, you know, I didn't say, well, there's no evidence for or against God. So I'm just going to live as if there is no God. There was an openness. There was a, a desire for God to be real. I think the spiritual and religious person is really kind of holding out hope that somebody can come along and demonstrate not only is God real, but that God made known to us in Jesus Christ can do what no other power can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, I would say to the spiritual and not religious person uh, to not give up on the church. We, we are broken. We are wounded. We are frail. We have done a lot of things, continue a lot of things that are wrong and errant. But there's also a lot of good and beauty and truth in the church. There are ways in which our communities have 
uh, survived at least or even uh, thrived at best because of the presence of the church. And even on our worst day, I would dare say that we are better off because God has given us this institution. And we need younger people. We need Gen Z. We need millennials. We need Gen Alpha to participate in the institution, to help it to be better, to help it become more spiritual, more responsive. And maybe God is allowing your journey of doubt and disbelief to lead you to a place of discovery of your calling to be the reformer, the apostolic prophetic voice to help the church be all it can be as we await the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Dr. Rose. This has been a blessing. Thank you all for tuning in to this session. We hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned um, for our next session that is going to be a blessing as well. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.